My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us uh, today. Man, we, uh, we've made it 2024, first Sunday of the year. I want you to know that a lot of prayer has gone into this day and, and this whole year, really, uh, by myself, the staff team, elders. We have been praying for a while. God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go in this new year? And I think back, going all the way back to uh, June, our staff team got the opportunity to go away for uh, two days on a staff retreat and get together and seek God's face and pray and ask questions and, and dream about, God, where do you want us to go? And so we came off of that uh, staff retreat with some great clarity around where he wants us to be in 2024 as we continue to grow in him and do what he has called us to do. And so I think about all that we did in 2023. Think about that, y'all. We spent an entire year journeying through the Bible. We did one sermon series. We went from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation 22. And the purpose of that was to see Christ on every page. Another way to say that is to see the gospel on every page through all of these big movements through the Bible. The theme of the Bible can be summed up. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. And I don't know if you believe that, but I believe that. I believe that truth today. We believe at Southcrest that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And so where are we going in 2024? Well, at least for the first two months, here's what I want us to focus on as a church. I want us to focus on Christian maturity. I want us to focus on the idea of growing up in our faith and continuing to grow up in our faith over time and really for the duration of our life on the earth. We believe the gospel changes everything, right? We believe that. And for the majority of us, we definitely believe that for our past, right? We, we, we believe that our past sins are, are forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ, by placing our faith in him, that I once was blind and I was dead in my sin and I was lost. But through the cross, of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven me. So my past is taken care of. And then the majority of us in here definitely believe our future is secure in him as well. That when I pass on here in a, in a short few years of whatever God gives me here on this earth, that my eternity is secure in him. That I'm not going to spend my eternity in a place separated from him in hell, but I get to dwell with him and I'm going to be with, with God and God is going to be with me for eternity. It's an amazing reality. But we fail, a lot of Christians, including myself at times, to understand how the gospel impacts me today in my current life and in every situation that I walk in. And that's the idea of growing up and continuing to grow into Christian maturity. Christian maturity. Maturity is this word, mature, teleos is the Greek word, and it means perfect or complete. And I think about that word, and I think, well, automatically, I'm out, guys. I am far from perfect, and I definitely ain't complete. And newsflash, neither are you. There is only one person that is perfect and complete, and that is Jesus Christ himself. But our goal as believers on the earth is to grow up in Christ-likeness every single day. He is our example. He is the model. And I am journeying towards him and becoming mature or complete or perfect like him. And I tell you what, it's going to take your whole life. It doesn't stop. What? Let's start here. What Christian maturity isn't. Let's talk about this for just a minute. Maturity is not about an age. 
It's not a direct correlation. So if, if you, you know, think you're going to hit Christian maturity when you're 55 or 65 or 75 or 85, 95, whenever that is, there's not a direct correlation to age. I know plenty of people that are well advanced in years, but are less mature in their walk with Christ than people that are far younger than even me at times. So it's not a direct correlation. So if you've got gray hair or no hair, you know, congratulations, that doesn't always equate I am now, uh, uh, you know, spiritually mature. Maturity isn't static. Maturity is a constant journey. Sanctification is an ongoing work of God in the life of the believer. Maturity is not about knowing a lot of things. There are a lot of people that know a lot of things, that have sat through a lot of Bible studies and such. Jesus even got onto the Pharisees at times saying, you guys know a lot, and you're seeking the scriptures for eternal life, but you're not going to find it there. They point to me. They fail to have that relationship and apply the truths of God's word. Maturity is not automatic. You can't download it and you cannot buy it. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know why, but um, Mario Bros. Anybody play the original Mario Brothers? Oh man, amazing game. I remember as a little kid, Cincinnati, Ohio, I got a Nintendo for my birthday tore up in the paper. Nintendo, this is amazing. We popped the original Mario Brothers in, and we played for hours, okay? Y'all know, if you played that game, level one, stage one, right? You're this little guy running across the screen, you know, and what is your first objective? At least mine was to get to that box with the big question mark on it so I can bonk my head on that thing, and out comes a mushroom, and it's that one-up Super Mario, and I jump on that mushroom, and I just grow up, right? That is not Christian maturity. That's not how it works, okay? Don't think that, okay? It's not automatic. It's not, you can't buy it. It's work. Hebrews 6 talks about, let us go on to maturity, right? Maturity is not for elite Christians. Oh, that's for the pastors and the monks that are in the monastery that are chanting and in the corners or whatever. No, maturity is for all of us. Every single person that professes Christ as their Lord and Savior, there is a calling on your life to grow up into maturity. Over the next two months, we're going to be working through a book, really as a guide, so to speak, and it's called Gospel Fluency. It's written by a fantastic pastor and writer. His name is Jeff Vanderstilt. Amazing book. I want to encourage you to get on Amazon and buy the book. Walk through it with you, <clears throat> excuse me, with us. We have life groups that are going through this book as well, going into the uh, deeper study for the next two months. <clears throat> and uh, I love his premise for this idea of Christian maturity. He says, he basically wraps it up in this idea of being gospel fluent. Being fluent in the gospel equates to maturity. And so fluency, what, what is that? We know what that, that means. It's the ability to speak a language without thinking about it, easily, effectively. It just rolls off the tongue without much effort. And so gospel fluency, Jeff's big premise for his book, is the ability to naturally speak the truths of Jesus into everyday stuff of life. Every situation I'm walking into, when I go to work, as I'm raising kids, as I'm dealing with this situation, that situation, I, I literally think through the lens of the gospel every moment without even trying. It just naturally flows. Fluency makes me think about the time about five years ago now, coming up on five years, that I traveled to Columbia. I went on the journey of my life, 
one of the greatest adventures of my life. Kathy and me, uh, God, God placed on our heart to adopt uh, some kids. So um, we did all the fundraising and all the paperwork, and, and man, it was difficult, and it was expensive, and it was challenging, and it was uncomfortable, all right? It was, it was difficult, but all in the best ways. Wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved it. It's great. I still love the, the journey that we're on and moving forward as well with more adoption. And I love that I was able to give my biological boys the, the experience as well to fly to another country and to get involved in, in brokenness and problems. And even giving them a global mindset about the gospel isn't just for America. God desires to save all people in all nations. And it's just, it's just amazing, an amazing journey, hard, difficult. But when we got on the plane and flew to Bogota, it got difficult on a whole nother level for me because I don't know Spanish. I do not know how to speak Spanish at all. And so I struggled there. I struggled to order food. Like that was awkward. Like, you know, trying to talk to them, you know, people and they're like trying to get people over here to help. And it was just awkward. I couldn't share my thoughts you know, fluidly with people. I couldn't communicate with my daughters in that moment very well. Uh, couldn't stand before the judges and, or the medical appointments and really communicate. I was relying on someone else. I was relying on my caseworker to do a lot of the communicating for me. Thank God for Google Translate. Y'all know Google Translate? Man, I'm like speaking sentences in here and like, hey, listen to this kind of a thing. And as great as Google Translate is, it's broken. It's broken Spanish. There's different dialects and different things. And like I'm getting weird faces because I'm saying things in English as the sentence is composed. And that ain't how it is in Spanish and on and on, right? And so it was, it was hard. Spanish, I'm not fluent in Spanish. It doesn't come naturally to me. And, and you know, when I think about our Christian faith or our Christian walk, the moment we place our faith in Jesus... It's as if we are joining a new culture. It's as if we are stepping into a new kingdom, that we are now citizens of, of heaven. And there's a new way of living and a new life that we're to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel has to become our language now. We have to be fluent in it now. And here's the problem. The problem, many Christians stay inarticulate in the gospel. We step up into a situation, a difficulty, and, and, and we don't know how to connect our faith to, to what I'm seeing right now. So we might jump into the Bible and try to find a verse that I can apply to this thing, almost like Google Translate, like, hey, I'm pulling this out. I gotta, I'm struggling here. And again, I'm, I'm not knocking the idea of going to the Scriptures. That's where we need to go. What I'm saying is, is we're not fluent in it. It's not natural. I'm just thanking God's truth all the time in every situation that I'm facing. You know, when a, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my oldest daughter, and she was like, Dad, I, I need to work on my Spanish. I'm like, what? You're from Colombia. What do you mean you, gotta work, you need to work on your Spanish? She's like, I just have realized now, Matt, uh, Dad, that I'm dreaming in English now. I'm thinking in English, I speak in English, I write in English, I read in English, I watch TV in English, and it's just naturally flowing out of me English. And I thought that was so profound in that that's how I want my life when it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not even thinking about it. It's just flowing through me. 
Paul, in the book of Ephesians, let's grab that, Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about maturing in our walk with Christ, and he talks a little bit kind of around the idea of being fluent in the gospel, and we're going to get there here in a handful of verses, but I want to kind of give some backstory a little bit about Ephesians. Ephesians is incredible, amazing book. Uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all the uh, indicatives, right? They're all the things that God has done for us and what we should believe, the gospel story, how God has saved us, how through the cross our sins are forgiven, that we're saved by grace through faith, right? It's this idea that all who are in Christ are blessed, all who are in Christ are redeemed, and uh, we're secured by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And it's just beautiful theology for three chapters, all the things that we should believe that God has done for us. Chapter 4 hits, starting in verse 1. Let's go, uh, chapter 4. Paul Paul transitions. He makes a a shift. I, therefore, so all that I just got done saying, therefore, here's what I want you to do. A prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying, because of all that God has done for us, here's how you should live your life. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should think. Here's how you should speak. Here's that you should be, you know, fluent. This should, this should actually impact your life. The gospel should impact my everyday life today. Now, Paul, right after this idea, he goes into this, this next idea of unity, that the goal of the church is unity. And look how he starts this out. Verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, and patience. I love that Paul didn't start with the group first. He starts with the individual first, and he starts with the fruit of the Spirit being in operation in the individual person. If we're going to have unity in the body at Southcrest Church right here, we have to walk in, in humility, period. We have to have a proper view of who we are or, or who we're not, really, and who God is. The opposite of that is pride. You can't have unity with prideful people. The only, the only person a prideful person wants to be and unity with is themselves. It's all about them. You got to be gentle. You got to actually care for one another, but it has to come from an inner character and also patience, right? All of this is internal, Paul starts with. The fruit of the Spirit, changed life, working in inner, inner character, but then it works itself out in external actions. What does that look like? We bear with one another. And we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Next verse, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The foundation of our unity as believers are in these three eternal truths. There is one God, period. He's the creator of the universe. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we place our faith in him. We we believe in him. We are unified around that truth. The second thing we're unified around is our faith, that we're unified in what we believe, right? That we place our faith in Christ. We believe in his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, that's what saves us, not our works, right? We, we have one faith, and then we're unified in the body here. 
And we're unified locally, but we're also unified globally with the church. And that is a mystery and an incredible truth that we unify around. Skip down to verse 11. He's building a case more and more. And he gave, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God gave gifted people to the church for a reason, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. God has gifted certain people to lead the church, to equip the church, to do the work in the church right? The idea is this. Every single person is called to some form of work of ministry. The ministry is not just for the pastors or the, or the leaders or this or that. All of us have a calling placed on our life to be involved in the body of Christ in some specific way. And if you're not involved where you are planted, where you are growing, where you call your church home, your church is missing out. It is missing out on your gifting. We have needs here at Southcrest for, for, I mean, our our church is growing. Our life groups are busting at the seam. We need people to step up and lead groups. We are onboarding deacons now coming up this year. Very excited about all that. We we have Crest kids. Kids are growing. Like we, we have places for you to get involved here at Southcrest. And I want to challenge you, 2024, where are you getting involved? To what end? Here's, here's, here's why we need you involved. This is why we need you to, to get involved. Next verse, 13. Until, why serve? Why build up the body? Why equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Till the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. All right, that's not uh, leaving out women here. This is not about gender here. It's just a picture of a mature adult, okay? So a uh, mature, mature person right? That's, that's what it is. And so all of us are needed to serve in the local body so that all of us are growing in unity, growing in the knowledge of Christ, and maturing in our walk, uh, in our faith. And so, man, I want Southcrest to be a place that's full of mature believers. And so, again, I want to challenge you. Where are you getting involved? Where are you getting involved? Let's take the first step. Let's begin to pray about that. Let's begin to have conversations with me or Caleb or Ben or Stacy, you know, Javon. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's get involved in the work of the ministry. 14, verse 14, Paul goes to the negative. Why? Okay, so that you're not a child anymore. And you're not tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. We live in modern culture that is very deceiving right now, is it not? Do, do you not feel the pressure of things pushing on you, doctrines and thoughts and this and that? It just culturally, you know, on social media and the news, and especially an election year, man, this is, it is going to be wild this year. And if we're not grounded in our faith, if we're not gospel fluent, we will be like a little kid in a boat out in the ocean and the waves are just having their way with us, pushing us everywhere and we won't be stable and we won't be mature. Verse 15, here it is. We got there. Rather, Paul's going to give us a picture of what it looks like to be mature. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ. How do we become mature? What does it look like? 
We speak the truth in love. We are fluent in the gospel. That's what that looks like. Uh, a lot of scholars struggle with this speaking the truth in love. They, they think it's not the best translation. It's, uh, I, we got the Greek word here. They, a lot of people believe a better translation is truthing in love, although we don't speak like that. Truthing in love. And the idea is this. Being mature, again, isn't just knowing things. It's actually doing the things, right? That's, that's what that means. Truthing in love meanings, means that the gospel truth, I speak it into everything that I see and do, and I live it, and I act it. Truth is something that we do, and that's maturity, being fluent in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel has to, it must shape our lives in every single way. Here are a couple of thoughts. The gospel has to shape my identity. You know, I think about that. If, if I don't speak the truth of God into my identity before my feet even hit the ground, I'm in for a rude awakening when I hit the real world, so to speak. If I don't, if I don't preach to myself and know the truth that I am saved and I'm, his, I'm God's child and I am covered and I am sanctified all in Christ, if I don't understand that truth, whew, it's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a tough day. You'll, you'll live a defeated life, and you'll live by believing a lie of the enemy that he sows doubt in your mind as to who you are in Christ. The gospel needs to shape how you deal with suffering. A lot of people in our church that are dealing with hard times, their, their relationships are, are um, struggling, sicknesses, um, you know, difficulty at work, on and on. I mean, life is in part suffering. And if I don't speak the truth of the gospel into the moment of suffering, I'll be tempted to question whether or not God is good. God, how are, aren't you good? And I'm facing this. There's a disconnect there, right? But if I'm able to speak the truth of the gospel into even that suffering moment, it helps me. I'm growing up in maturity. I'm becoming gospel fluent. The gospel has to shape my relationships, my marriage, my, my kids, on and on. How I deal with my finances, how I should deal with my sexuality. The gospel must shape that, how I deal with my time, on and on. Now, today's just an overview. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time over the next handful of weeks diving into this more deeply. Uh, but how, how to become fluent in the gospel? A couple of thoughts for you. Number one is you have to be in God's word. Fluency requires, you got to know the language. You got to know the verbs. You got to know the, the deals, the, the gender of the words and the placement of this and the grammar and the, the stuff. You got to know God's word. It has, you have to know it. So fluency requires knowing the language. Number two, obey the word. Fluency is going to require that you apply God's word to your life. You got to apply it for it to make sense. And then number three, you got to get into community. Fluency requires immersion. It requires that you get into that culture. You go to a Bible teaching church, a gospel preaching church, and you stay faithful there for your maturity, for you to exercise your gifts, for you to build up the church, on and on, all the things that Paul just got done talking about. But you lock into a church and, and you're hearing the gospel. But also, you get into a gospel-centered life group. 
You get into a community, a smaller community of other like-minded people that are speaking the truth of the gospel weekly. And then you're immersed in this thing and it's like, oh, things start to click. It becomes natural and you don't even have to think about it anymore. You're just speaking the gospel all the time. 